the images coming out of Ukraine every day, it's not hard for us to imagine the situation that the people of Israel in the context of Isaiah were experiencing. As we're doing, we're studying Isaiah, and so we come this morning to chapter 60. And what the people we're dealing with there in the book of Isaiah is a lot like what we're seeing in the news today. Their capital city, Jerusalem, had been destroyed by Babylon. Uh, Men, women, children have been displaced uh, by war, and they were living in a foreign country. Um, It's a picture of darkness and despair. But in Israel's case, in Isaiah, um, this darkness was brought on as a direct result of their own sin against God. Maybe you feel that way this morning. Maybe you feel like you're experiencing some darkness that has been brought on in your life as a direct result of your own sin. Maybe you feel like you're in a dark place, but it's not necessarily the result of of your sin or any specific set of circumstances, but in your darkness, you, you feel really abandoned by God. Where is God? Well, last week in chapter 59 of Isaiah, God promised his people that he sees them. He said, I see you in your sin. I see the chaos in your society. And not only do I see you, but I am sending a divine warrior to rescue you from your sin, from the chaos in your society, and to restore you back to my city. Now imagine what a tremendous message of hope that would be to his people in this dark situation. I see you and I am sending a divine warrior who will robe himself in the armor of righteousness and put on zeal like a cloak and come and do my work. Isaiah 59. Well, Isaiah 60 is the dawning of a new day as the sun rises on Jerusalem. Our sermon text, Isaiah chapter 60, is a message of encouragement that calls God's people to arise, get up out of your doldrums, and shine because of what God has done in you and what God intends to do through you for his glory and your good. Now, Isaiah chapter 60, as Logan already read, has three primary actors. So if you're not already there, please take your Bible or the one at your feet, turn to Isaiah 60. It's got three primary actors, God, his city, and then all the nations of the world. It's really important that we understand that the dominant imagery in Isaiah 60, is God's city, 
Jerusalem, not just God's nation or God's people. The dominant imagery is of the city. So look at, for example, verse 7. He talks about my altar, my beautiful house. Where's that located? Jerusalem, God's city. Look at verse 10, your walls. Verse 11, your gates. Verse 13, the place of my sanctuary, the place of my feet. Verse 14, they will call you the city of the Lord, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. Verse 18, your walls and your gates. So the dominant imagery here is of God's city, Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is not simply a piece of land in the Middle East with walls and gates and buildings. The imagery in in Isaiah 60 is that God's city is the place where God's people are in God's presence Worshiping God in his house. It's the center of worship of almighty creator God. Who has made a covenant with his people. And so this message of encouragement to God's city has three parts. If you're taking notes and I would encourage you to do so. It will help you to follow and then to Remember, as you walk away and maybe go back and study Isaiah 60 for yourself, this message of encouragement to God's city has three parts. Part number one, God shines his glory on his city. Part number two, God's city shines God's glory to the nations. And part number three, The nations come to God's city to worship God. Do you see how the three actors and the three parts are so important? God, his city, the nations. God shines the light of his glory on his city. His city shines the glory of God to the nations And the nations come to God's city to worship God. Isn't that good? That's the plan of redemption. That's how God says he's going to make all things new in this broken world. So as we hear this message of encouragement this morning about what God has done in his city, And intends to do through his city. I have two prayers. Prayer number one. For Christians. Is that you will arise. And shine. So that God's glory. Is seen through his city. The new Jerusalem. The church of Jesus Christ. Prayer number two. For those here who may not yet be Christians. That you will see the glory of God. Through even us as his church. 
and come and worship our God. So let's take a look at this three-part message of encouragement together this morning. First of all, part number one, God's glory shines on God's city. Look at Isaiah 60, verse 1 and 2. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen on you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will shine upon you. Stop. Historically, the light of God's grace the light of his glorious grace will rise like the sun on his city, Jerusalem, and it will be rebuilt after it had been destroyed by Babylon. God is saying what you're experiencing in the darkness of this captivity in Babylon is not the end. I promise I'm going to send a divine warrior who will rescue you and restore you back to the city, and then I am going to rebuild the city. That's what happened historically, and it did happen. We can go back to 539 A.D., and we can see God rebuilding his city. But we know that that's not the ultimate end of what Isaiah is talking about here. This has not only historical implications, but it has spiritual implications. And that's a lot of what the Bible does, especially in the Old Testament. It uses the earthly people of God to teach us spiritual lessons about the spiritual people of God of all time and all places, the new Israel, the new Jerusalem, the church of Jesus Christ, the Israel. So spiritually, this is talking about God restoring his city to what he intends it to be. The place where his people are in his presence, worshiping him, and the nations are going to come. To worship God. So part number one is God's glory shines on God's city. Notice that the light of God has come. Do you see that? Your light has already come. Go back to chapter 53 of Isaiah and you'll find out that God has already rescued his people through the suffering servant, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. But more importantly, in this particular text, remember Isaiah loves this this uh, poetic form of the chiasm where he will use A, then B, and then return to A again, or maybe A, B, C, B, A. This chiastic structure is going on here in a greater sense because Isaiah 60, connected with 61 and 62, is a chiastic structure that is bookended by two declarations about the divine warrior. The divine warrior in chapter 59 comes back again on Easter Sunday, by the way, Isaiah 63, 1 through 6. All of that chiastic structure is to emphasize that the rescue and restoration of God's city, that God's glory 
rising on God's city comes through the work of this divine warrior. Remember in Isaiah 59, the Lord saw it. It displeased him. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation. And a redeemer was sent to Zion. Isaiah 63. Who is this that comes from uh, from Edom in crimson garments? He who is splendid in his apparel. Marching in the greatness of his strength. It is I speaking in righteousness, mighty to save. The divine warrior bookends this to show us that God's glory is rising like the sun on his people through the work of his redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. And what does this divine warrior do? What does the glory of God rising the light of the glory of God shining on God's city do? Well, it rescues them from the darkness of their own idolatry. In last week's chapter 59, it rescues us from our own way. Remember, God says, I want to restore to you my truth, my righteousness, my justice, because when you use your truth your way of living, and your form of justice, it leads to nothing but society uh, in chaos. So God rescues us from, ultimately, ourselves. You know, that's one of the first things that is the, is the right step toward understanding God and his gospel is recognizing that you need to be recogni- uh, rescued from you. You don't just need to be rescued from Hollywood or D.C. or your uh, wicked neighbor. You need to be rescued from you. And you can't protect your kids from sin because sin is in your sweet, precious little children, including the cutest little baby ever born, my grandson, in (laughs) Arkansas. You knew I'd have to bring that in there somewhere. This is a good time to insert this. God's glory shines on his city to rescue them from the darkness, but also to do something else. Look at the end of verse 9. To make them, what's the word? The end of verse 9. To make them beautiful. Isn't that great? God says, Jerusalem is in shambles. I, in my justice, allowed it to be destroyed by the the Babylonians because of your sin. But I am going to make you beautiful again. There's hope, friends. The message of God's glorious grace through his divine warrior, Jesus Christ, delivers us from the ugliness of our sin 
and makes us beautiful in his righteousness. And that causes us to fall on our face and and declare that he is worthy. Part two. So not only does God's glory shine on God's city, but then, part two, God's city shines. God's city shines God's glory to the nations. So keep reading in verse two. The Lord will arise on you and his glory will be seen upon you. Just like a city that beams with the the light of the newly risen sun, the city of God shines with a beauty that is not their own. God's grace has made them beautiful again, and now they shine with the light of God's glory. Is Matthew chapter 5 going through your mind too? Jesus said, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people put a light under a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all the house in the same way. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. When God's grace and God's glory shines on us, the purpose is so that we will shine his glory and his grace to those around us who are still in darkness. Christian, you are the light of God's glory in your home. Your home is the light of God's glory in your neighborhood. Christian, you are the light of God's glory and God's grace in your workplace and at your school. Shine, friend. Get up out of the doldrums and the darkness of our sin and despair and shine. Not because we've pulled ourselves up by the bootstraps, but because we see God's glory and God's grace on us and we shine and radiate to others around us. Our life, our actions, our words, they all communicate the beauty of God's grace and God's truth to those others who are around us. The people around us are on the road running headlong into self-destruction. And there you are as the representative of God walking in the opposite direction and feeling like it every day. Aren't you? But God has you there on purpose so that you'll shine. God's glory shines on God's city. God's city shines God's glory on the nations. Keep reading. Verse 2 and 3. 
the Lord will arise upon you. His glory will be seen upon you. And verse 30. Nations shall come to your light. Kings to the brightness of your rising. No, they won't. People at my work don't care a thing about God. They don't care a thing about how I live. The people in my neighborhood practically hate me because I'm a Christian. Are you kidding? My family is never going to come to Christ. They despise me because I don't live the way they do. God's promise is this. When the world sees His glory in His church, it will be attractive. It will shine like the light in dark places. And it will achieve God's plan of redemption so that every nation will be drawn to the city of God to sing to sing to our divine warrior, the Lion of Judah, the Lamb who was slain. He is worthy of all blessing and honor and glory. That happens through us. That happens through you. But you've got to arise and shine, friends. The glory of God's grace has shone on you so that you will shine to others so that others can see what? What is it specifically that causes the nations in Isaiah 60 or your neighbors, co-workers, family, and friends, what is it specifically that causes the nations to come to the city of God? It's the light and glory of God, not us. It's, it's the grace of God lived out through his church that causes the world to see and want to come to God. It's the beauty and brightness of God that's attractive in this lowly and contrite Life, church. The question for us is, what does the world see in us? Here locally and the church of Jesus all around the world, what what does the world see in us? Does the non-Christian world hear God's truth? See God's righteousness and experience God's justice from the church of Jesus? Or do our churches and our marriages and our lifestyles look so much like the the culture around us that the transcendent beauty of a holy and otherworldly God is hidden and diminished? God's glory shines on God's city. God's city shines God's glory to the nations. And the nations come to God's city to worship. That's verses 1 through 3. 
And that was unbelievable to Judah as they sat in Babylon. They're like, on one hand, yeah, right. And on the other hand, wait a minute. What do you mean? So the rest of chapter 60, verse 4 through 22, answers three questions from God's people about what what is this about the nations coming? Because we remember what happened the last time the nations came. It didn't turn out so good for us. So you're saying that the nations are going to come to Jerusalem? All right, uh, we've got some questions. Question number one, verse four through nine. Why are the nations coming to God's city? Question number two, verse 10 through 16. What will happen this time when the nation comes to God's city? In question number three, verse 17 through 22. What will God's city be like after the nations come? The nations are coming to God's city to worship. Question number one, why? Why are the nations coming to God's city? Three reasons in verse four through nine. Three reasons. Reason number one, verse four. They're coming to bring your children home. They're coming because God has the children of Zion in Ethiopia, in Myanmar, in Russia, and in this weird future place called the United States of America. God's got the children of Zion all over the world, not just centrally located as the descendants of Abraham in Israel. Read verse 4. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. Who? The, the nations. They all gather together to come. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar and your daughters shall be carried on the hip. Do you remember in a text earlier where the kings were carrying their daughters on their shoulders, marching them to Zion because God's gospel called them from the nations. Friends, that's happening right now. It's happening in South Africa through our friends, the Mephusis and the church planters there. The gospel is going out. It is shining bright in South Africa. And the children of Zion are coming to worship God. Reason number one, to bring the children of God home to Zion. Reason number two, why are the nations coming to God's city? Verse five through seven, to bring the wealth of the world to worship. <laughs> Read verse five through seven. Then you'll see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you, city of God. 
A multitude of camels are going to cover you. The young camels from Midian and Ephah, all those from Sheba, they're coming. They're going to bring you gold and frankincense. And they shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. The flocks from Kedar, they're going to be gathered to you. The rams of Nebaioth shall minister to you. They shall come up with acceptance on my altar and I will beautify my beautiful house. God says, you want to see something beautiful? It's when the nations, the faces, the different and diverse faces of all the nations are around my throne, praising me in my house, in my city, in my mountain. That is beautiful, God says. Your heart's going to be thrilled about this. They're going to bring you tribute fit for a king. You remember that happened, right? Matthew chapter 2. Wise men, magi from the east came. What did they bring? Apparently they read Isaiah 60. They brought gold and frankincense and myrrh. These, these are things fit for a king. I love the fact that the, the flocks of the world are welcome into the house of God. You know why? Because under the old covenant, the flocks of the world and not even the world was welcome in the house of, of God. But God, through his divine warrior, has smashed the wall that divides and opened it up so that the nations can come in. And now we remember why Jesus was so angry when Israel's priests and rulers were trying to keep the nations out. He says, you don't get it. My father says, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. That's Isaiah 56, 7. Why are the nations coming to God's city? One, to bring the children of God home to Zion. Two, to bring the wealth of the world to worship. Three, because God has made you beautiful. Why are they coming? Because God made you beautiful and he used you to draw them in. Who are these that fly like a cloud, like doves to their windows? Verse 9, the coastlands shall hope for me. The ships of Tarshish first to bring your children from afar, their silver, their gold with them, for the name of the Lord your God and for the Holy One of Israel, because he has made you beautiful. Beautiful. That's what your life is, Christian. It's beautiful as it displays the grace of God. Apparently, the people of God had another question. Question number two. You say in the nations are coming? Question number two, what's going to happen this time when the nations come to God's city? Because last time the nations came to Jerusalem, they buried us, drug us off into exile. 
And we've been sitting here in darkness and despair ever since. We don't want the nations to come. Like Put a wall around us and keep them out. What will happen this time? Verse 10 through 16. Well, God says it's going to be a great reversal. Completely the opposite of what happened last time. Verse 10. Verse 10 through 12, reversal number one. Instead of tearing your walls down, they're going to build them up. Look at verse 10. Foreigners shall build up your walls. Their kings, they're going to serve you. For in my wrath, I struck you. I used Babylon to strike you. But in my favor, I have had mercy on you. Look at verse 11. Your gates... They're going to be like 7-Eleven, right? They're going to be open continually. Day and night, they shall not be shut, that people may bring to you the wealth of the nations with their kings led, led in procession. That is an, an homage to the kings bowing in submission and being conquered by the gospel and being led in procession to to Zion, God's city. Verse 12, for the nation and the kingdom that won't serve, won't submit, will perish. Those nations will be utterly laid waste like I allowed them to lay you waste. God says, I used foreigners to destroy Jerusalem in my uh, wrath, and I'm going to use foreigners to rebuild Jerusalem in my mercy. That's a reversal. Reversal number two, verse 13. Not only are they going to build my walls, but they're going to beautify my house. What they do last time when the nations came to Jerusalem, they ransacked God's house. This time, verse 13, the glory of Lebanon shall come to you, the cypress, the plain, the pine. Why? Why are the glory of the nations bringing their very best trees and lumber to beautify? place of my sanctuary. I will make the place of my feet glorious. The best parts of every foreign nation are going to be brought to the place where God's abode and rest is, where he's set apart and receives worship to beautify that place. Reversal number three, verse 14. Last time they came, they lorded over you and they made you bow in subjection to them. This time, reversal number three, they will bow to you and confess the truth about you and your God. Read verse 14. The sons of those who afflicted you shall come bending low to you. And all who despised you shall bow down at your feet, and they will call you something. You can only imagine what they called them the first time, right? What will they call them? The nations, what will they call you now? In the end, the city of the Lord the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. Foreign nations who used to despise you 
bosses and coworkers and neighbors and family members who, who reject you because of your faith, in the end, what will they do? They will confess that God is the one true and living God and that you were right all along. Reversal number four, verse 15. Whereas you have been forsaken and hated, so bad that no one can even pass through Jerusalem anymore, I will make you majestic forever. I will make you a joy to the whole earth. What a reversal. That's what God does through his people, his city, through his gospel. Reversal number five, the last one, verse 16. What's going to happen this time when the nations come to God's city? Verse 16. You shall suck the milk of nations. You shall nurse at the breast of kings. They used to suck everything out of you that they could get, and now you're even living in subjection to them, and they're sucking the life out of you, using you to produce their national gross product. Just like in Egypt and in Babylon. What's going to happen in the end? You're going to benefit from the kings of the nations like a baby benefits from its mother. And why? Verse 16, here's the key. The end of verse 16. Through this whole reversal of circumstances, you will know that I, the Lord, am your Savior and your Redeemer and the Mighty One of Jacob. So like right now, doesn't it kind of feel like yeah, we might be right, we might be wrong, I'm not sure if this is all going to win, you know. Is this really going to happen the way it's supposed to happen? And on that day, we're going to go, oh yeah, oh yeah. Christian, God is proving that he is the one true and living God by redeeming a people of faith. Not a national, biological people of flesh, but a people of faith who are despised in this world because we believe and operate differently than the culture. And there is coming a day when God will finally and fully reverse the fortune of his people when truly the first will be last and the last will be first. And it may not feel like it now, Christian, but on that day, your faith will become better than you ever imagined. And their unbelief will become a nightmare worse than they ever fathomed. And we will both know the Lord. He is the only Savior and Redeemer. He is the Mighty One of Jacob. So as you live and go to work and go to school, as you experience rejection and ostracization for your faith, be confident that Jesus Christ really is the only Lord and Savior of the world. And live so that non-Christians around you 
can see you as part of God's city. The spiritual new Jerusalem on earth and be drawn to his beauty. Question number three, the last part of this text. What will God's city be like after the nations come? Last time it was in ruins. What's it going to be like now? Verse 17 through 22. New and better and eternal. Seven results. I'm just going to read them. You can let your eyes follow down through the text. Just like there were reasons and reversals, here are seven results of what happens when the nations come. Result number one, your city is going to be made of the best metals of all the world, no more stone and wood. Result number two, those people who used to be your overseers and taskmasters, now your government is going to be peace and righteousness. Result number three, you will be surrounded by salvation and praise, verse 18. Your walls and your gates, no more affected by violence, but you are absolutely secure in your salvation. Do you hear that, Christian? You are secure because of the divine warrior. You're surrounded by what? Praise. (laughs) Result number four, verse 19. Your light, the source of your light and your life, it's no longer coming from the sun and the moon, but it's going to be the, quote, everlasting light and glory of God. That's new. That's better. We'll take it. Result number five, verse 20, your joy. Right now, you're living in days of mourning. Verse 20 says, your sun will no more go down. Your moon will not withdraw itself, for the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of mourning shall be, what's the next word? Ended. Cancer. Death. Gone. Forever. Joy comes in the morning. Result number six, verse 21, your people who lives in Jerusalem now, God's people who are true people of faith and God's people who are false, just going through the motions, externally religious people who care nothing about God and their hearts far from him. Who's going to live in the new Jerusalem, the new city of God? Read verse 21. Your people shall all be righteous. They shall possess the land forever. They will be the branch of my planting, the work of my hands, so that I might be glorified. God says, I am planting you like a vine through the vine, the Lord Jesus Christ, and that is going to be branching and bearing fruit for my glory all over forever. Finally, the result is your influence, your standing going to be disproportionate to your size. The the least one of you is going to become a clan. 
The smallest one is a mighty nation. And if you doubt it, look how he signs it. I am the Lord. In its time, I'm going to make it happen. (laughs) I will hasten it. Ah, friends. Jesus talked about that mustard seed of the gospel producing a tree. And then what happens when the tree grows? The birds come. And where are they? The birds from the nations come and rest in the tree of the gospel. Our sermon text this morning is a message of encouragement that calls God's people to arise Get up out of your doldrums. Shine because of what God has done in you and what God intends to do through us. God's glory has shone on us. God intends for us to shine his glory to the nations so that the nations come to God's city. To worship God. Arise. Shine. And give God the glory. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. What a wonderful encouragement, Lord. Thank you for all that you have done through the Lord Jesus Christ. We stand amazed and astounded by your work. And we know that it's going to happen because you are the Lord and you're going to hasten it in your time. You'll make sure it happens. You're the one who bears your arm and says, I'm going to do this with my own arm and my own strength. You are not waiting or dependent on us. We just get to be part of the process. So for that privilege, because of your grace to us, I pray that you would cause us to arise out of our doldrums and depression and despair and, and allow us as Christians to shine the light of your glory to those people around us. God, put us on mission everywhere we are and let people see you and your beauty in us as you make us new. And I pray that if there's somebody here who's still not a Christian, God, that you would draw them to yourself so that they can too can be the recipient of your grace. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.